Welcome back to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And every week we tackle another topic that helps add to our mental health toolbox. And recently we partnered with TMS Active Recovery to make sure that you or anyone you know who might be experiencing treatment resistant depression know that there is an FDA approved non-pharmaceutical option for treatment that is covered by most insurances. TMS is short for transcranial magnetic stimulation, and it's helpful for people whose antidepressants have stopped working or those whose side effects from pharmaceutical drugs are just too tough to be able to take medication. TMS therapy is covered by most insurance plans and with multiple locations in Oregon and Washington. Learn more at activerecoverytms.com. Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. We're so happy to be back with part two of our discussion with Dr. Jim Polo and the Ukrainian situation. Dr. Polo has really unique insight, not only with his clinical expertise, but also his vast military expertise. In our last episode, Dr. Polo, you mentioned that with the lens you see it through, you are putting both on your military history and military experience cap, and also your behavioral expertise. Yes. Tell me how you're making yourself, your family feel any better or uh, vice versa, preparing them for the worst with those two lenses. So that's a great question. So let me tell you some very practical things I've done. So first of all, remember, I I have a a degree from the War College, so I really have spent a lot of time studying it. I spent several years as a policy advisor, and consequently, I have an interest in policy and understanding uh, global politics. And that's on top of the fact that, you know, my given profession is currently as a physician and a practicing psychiatrist. But ultimately, part of the way I look at the world is how do people relate, how do cultures mix? how do countries survive? So that's how it all comes together for me. To answer your question, my wife, my my wife is anxious. And here's what I told her. I am tracking everything that is going on. And I will tell you on a daily basis, what I think would be important for you to know. Let's not watch the TV and don't spend any time on the media looking at that. You know, my wife is working part-time. She spends a lot of time in church activities. She spends a lot of time gardening. She's, you know, she's at that age where she's not really focused on a lot of outside stuff. And this is a little bit of anxiety provoking because remember, yeah. she was in the military herself. I don't know if I mentioned that yeah, to you. And you did. She, she watched me deploy multiple times. And so my goal was, hey, look, I already know that there's a lot of media out there that's sensational. I already know my wife really well. She's not going to react to seeing little kids that are challenged. I will let you know what's going on that Mm. is important. But it also means I have to be honest. What has occurred? And I have to be honest about what my opinion might be. So when the media reports first started talking about the possibility that this could devolve into a a nuclear thing, I shared that with my wife. I said, well, one of the concerns is there have been some indications that the Russian leader may be trying to imply that this could lead to nuclear warfare. Mm-hmm. And obviously the implications, if that were to occur, are significant. Hiding that from my wife would not have been good, but her reading the entire article that I read also would have been not very good. Mm-hmm. So I shared with her the information. And then I said to her, remember, there's a lot of political issues going on here. And sometimes when it comes to these conflicts, 
people will really bluster a lot about what they could do and what they're going to do for political reasons that doesn't really have anything to do with reality. And why do I say that? Well, because I've studied the Bay of Pigs and, and how close we came to a challenge uh, you know, with President Kennedy at the time that we were concerned about the Cuban crisis. I'm not saying I can predict the future, but what I've done is I have specifically created a plan with my wife that keeps her anxiety low because I know that the media is something that impacts her doing the same thing with my daughter. Now, my son-in-law is an example. Yeah. He's, he's he wants like to me. go in. He wants he's, to go into he's it. He's like but... me. Okay. <laughs> and so instead with him, what I've done is I've carved out time to say, Hey, let's chat about this privately. You know, we don't need to chat about this in, in, in front of our wives and we don't, certainly don't need to chat about it in front of my kids, but allow him to process mm-hmm. what's going on. Because remember when you process in your own mind, you get yeah. nowhere. And just talking about it and working through what you're thinking, even if it's at somewhat of an academic level, allows you to deal with the emotions of what it's creating. Okay, I will give you an example. Um, I am deeply concerned, and this is just because of my consumer-like reading of the situation that China and Russia will act as allies in this and that we are headed for World War III. Okay, so the reality is that China and Russia do have a relationship. And it would be tempting to think that they're completely aligned, but they are not. China has a relationship with the US. Mm -hmm. Could that actually occur? Yes, it could. Is it likely to occur? Not so sure. Hmm. Alliances within the global environment, while security is a key aspect of that, you know, we want to maintain our sovereignty, we want to survive as a society, et cetera, so on and so forth, still still rests on the global community to work together. Hmm. So we are so economically tied and we are yeah. so resource tied globally that it's easy to think that the Chinese might just do that. But remember, their economy, which is huge, is largely supported by yeah, the uh, U.S. Uh, the U.S., okay? Yeah. So Dr. Polo, finish out that thought, then my, my fear of that is not really supported by your historical evidence and, and kind of the, the way the political chips are right now. What do I do with that fear? Every time I read something, I'm reading it through the lens of, uh-oh, this to me is the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> um, this is a great question because this is where you have to actually kind of make some directed decisions about yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways you could go about this. You could decide that it's anxiety provoking enough that you want to go and read and learn about this. Right. Hey, I'm going to spend some time reading about really what is nuclear arms? What does it mean? And where are we? And what are all these arms deals that's been going on for the last 20 years, which the average individual has no clue about? Yeah. Or you could say to yourself, hey, this is not within my framework of understanding, nor do I really want to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to simply let it go. Could nuclear worker? Yes. I'm going to have to let this issue go and focus on other things because I really don't want to spend time trying to understand it because I'm not going to, or because understanding it isn't actually going to help me. Yeah. One of the challenges with uncertainty is that people tend to focus actually on things that they don't understand super well. That's why they're uncertain. (laughs) On top of the fact that they fear, usually worst case scenario. And worst case scenario is very simplistic. So when you just say nuclear war, the average person envisions a globe with a big smoke coming up above it 
and the entire world going away. That's the extreme. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Remember, we 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 dropped atom bombs to end World War II. I know. Uh, they were devastating. They were horrible. And, and that's what it took to bring that that war to a close in the Pacific region with the with the Japanese. It's a big leap to say we're going to be in a nuclear war and the entire human race is, is going to be. Yeah. Gone. You know, I think part of the strangeness of this uncertainty is really compounded by the character of Putin, who appears to me to be a man who is mentally ill, especially his most recent example of showing up in public. He looks puffy. He looks angry. He looks impulsive. He looks like every person that I've ever seen who was on the verge of doing something criminal. And I think this is the guy who decides. So I'm sure other people feel that anxiety around this particular war. There's no question that the national leader in any country creates a tremendous amount of influence and by default takes on ownership as if they singularly all by themselves are doing everything. You have to understand the politics of Russia are not the same in terms of what creates power to bring people to power as it is in the US. So it's easy to look at Putin through our lens of what we would expect out of a leader. And in fact, this is one of the areas where I would say you have to be very careful to not overinterpret what is in the media, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of the media really understands, you know, and has firsthand knowledge about what he does do or what he does say yeah. or what he does think or, or right. whatever. Obviously, public things that he says, kind of like the address that he gave in, in Moscow a few days ago. I mean, that was publicized. That was public. We know exactly what he said. But you got to remember, part of that was for show. OK, now you said something that is also very important. You said that he's mentally ill. I'm not sure that I agree with that. And Mm. and the reason why I say that is because he could be mentally ill, but he might just be completely criminal. Uh And they're not the same. (laughs) Very Um, good point. Yeah. um, People are able to kill innocents and they don't necessarily have to be mentally ill. Correct. Mm -hmm. Here's one thing I will say. The fact that he has been at the helm of this country for so long, Mm -hmm. the fact that he has led in a way that has achieved kind of what he has said he wants to do. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's actually been able to launch the attack into Ukraine does demonstrate he probably is quite smart. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean he's using it in a good way. Right. And he's clearly in control from a reality-based perspective of the moment. He may not understand Ukrainian culture. He may have misjudged Uh, how much resistance there would be. He may have misjudged the resistance uh, of the economic community from Western nations, but it's not like he's psychotic and doesn't think clearly because those kinds of folks don't survive in power even when they're evil. Okay. I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, keep in mind individuals that are corrupt and ruthless usually become their own worst enemy in the long run. So this is a question I would only ask someone with your kind of experience. Are there forces at work because we are seeing his ability to be, quote unquote, a war criminal to do these things? Are there forces at work within his administration and within the oligarchs that might take him out before we are able to? Oh, yeah. Is that kind of thing going on? 
Well, you know, that's a good question. And in fact, that was alluded to in the media by a couple of our U.S. congressmen and, and senators. I do not believe that, uh, and this is my personal opinion, this is not based on any knowledge. I do not believe that it would be a wise strategy to take out a leader of a different nation. I do not think that is a wise strategy. While it may move in the direction of where you think you want it to go, it has the potential for not doing that. Okay. Because everybody rallies around him as correct. Correct. Are there things going on in the background by our government uh, that the public doesn't know about and that quite frankly may not need to know about? My, My guess is yes. And my guess is all of it, whatever is happening, is in the service of trying to avoid a major global conflict. Yeah. And one of the challenges when it comes to politics at this level is that sometimes you're very restricted on what you can actually say to the public, and the public generally fills it in with their assumption. And their Mm -hmm. assumptions are usually not accurate. They, They might be close, but they're not usually accurate. But you've raised another question that is important to consider. What if he has internal conflict where somebody tries to topple him from within the country? Yeah. That's not necessarily a good thing either. I mean, it could be, but who's he going to get replaced by? He's yeah. certainly not going to get replaced by somebody that believes in democracy the way we do. He's going to be replaced by somebody else mm. that is in a very corrupt system where power and leadership is about what you achieve for yourself. So sometimes you're simply trading one bad actor for a different bad actor and the instability, because now you have a new actor that you have to kind of figure out, well, what do they believe and what do they act and what do they say? So that's not necessarily always going to turn out well either. Has it happened? Absolutely. Hmm. There are many leaders that have been toppled from within. It is usually corrupt leaders that are toppled from within. But sometimes when that does occur, there's still a period of instability afterward. I was just thinking about when we were talking um, pre-pandemic, and you were right about every single part of it, how bad it was going to get, you know, what would happen when the variants came, like, you were way more accurate than even like Dr. Fauci. And I keep thinking, is there a semblance of steps we should be taking now to just be prepared in case the worst case does happen? Should we have food on hand? Should we have water on hand? I mean, that's smart all the time anyway, because people yeah. live with tornadoes and earthquakes, but is there anything else that we really should be doing to prepare? Yeah. So that's a good question because it really opens the door to think about what's practical Yeah. versus what might be not so necessary. So for example, the likelihood that there would be any kind of actual combat on U.S. soil is virtually zero. Even if Russia were to launch some kind of a missile, and they do have missiles that can reach the U.S., and even if that missile were to land in a location that created a disaster, you know, leveled a building, wiped out a a city block, whatever, we're not going to see soldiers on the battlefield, quote, on U.S. soil. Now, why do I say that? Well, you know, do you need to go and and worry about stocking up so that you've got enough food for the next six months? Probably not practical. Mm -hmm. If I was in the Ukraine, my only focus would be finding food. So so you got to kind of think about it from the perspective of of what's practical. I, I suspect that the true worst case scenario is that this crisis would lead to involvement of NATO. And by default, the U.S would be involved, there might be 
some degree of direct involvement in terms of us sending military forces into that area. Yeah. Okay. And now it's a whole different, you know, situation in terms of, well, how do we help the public think about the fact that we have our own citizens at war? Are they at war for something that is reasonable? Does it make sense? You know, how does this play out in, in the big picture of where we're going as a, as a nation, as a country? What I worry about actually is unification of all the divisions that are currently in the country. If we decide as a nation that this is important enough for us to be involved in, we have to bring the nation together behind that. Yeah. It's not going to help to be divided from within. And Dr. Pohl, you made the point earlier, and I think everybody, um, especially who lived through World War II, understands that for the longest time, we lived in a place where another war in that region was completely unthinkable, I think, because of the memory of World War II. For younger people, how do you begin to impress upon them the need to stay allies with these people to protect those people? Is it like, well, not enough kids have actually studied history to know the importance of ah, this. This is such, such a critical issue. You know, it reminds me of a quote from Winston Churchill, and I won't get it exactly correct, but the quote goes something to the effect of those who fail to study the lessons of history are destined to make the same mistakes in the future. Yeah. The last time that we had to think about what global war really looks like, feels like, actually really was World War II. Yeah, it was. The Korean crisis was not a global war. Vietnam was not really a global war. Even the war on terror was not technically a global war. Now, the reason why that becomes important is because it happened long enough ago that the memory, both historically and the understanding culturally, has been lost. I often tell folks that the beauty of PTSD is that people will think twice when they're a legislator before they go to war. In other words, we used to have a Congress and a Senate that was full of individuals that had been to war and understood what that was like. And when it came to thinking about where the U.S. should be, their perspective is a little bit different. When you reach a point where that happened so long ago, unfortunately, that's an experience that lacking changes how you look at things. I really think avoiding a global war is the number one task. How to get there is going to be challenging. How to get there is going to be challenging from a political level and from a a policy perspective uh, relative to a bunch of nations working together. Oh, I love it. Well, if people don't have you in their home to monitor the news, to go deep on what you need to know and what you don't need to know beyond limiting your social media, taking care of yourself in terms of health, exercise, sleep, any other tips that we can leave people with, Jim? Hey, you've got to take a break from anything that is stressful. I go to the gym every day at three o'clock, no matter what. And I purposely get on the elliptical and I watch a net. I'm watching a Netflix series right now. I don't want to tell you which one I'm watching, but I'm watching a Netflix series and I really zone out to something that's meaningless (laughs) to just give my mind a break. And I come home and I have dinner and I go to bed. So taking care of yourself is really important. And for everybody, you got to think about what is it that drives you to take care of yourself? Because it could be a hobby. It could be some activity. It could be something else. And connect with people. Connect with people that are meaningful to you. Those two things are critically important. I've been spending more time with my kids, uh, who luckily live locally, and with my wife and friends in our community where we just talk about, you know, us. Yeah. 
and yeah. what's happening in our lives and what's what's good and, yeah. and and avoiding those things so those are the kinds of things that always help when you're going through any kind of a period of uncertainty regardless of the cause of it dr polo it is always a pleasure thank you so much and we'll continue to check back with you as things inevitably change with this ongoing conflict if you like what you heard today please give us a thumbs up on apple podcasts and we appreciate your support any way you can give us follow us on social media at beyondwellmedia.com Bora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon, that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Bora recently opened a new state-of-the-art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or see the show notes for more details.